0: Good morning, Fire Will. Good morning, Fire Will. (laughs) How are you today? You glad you got up for church? Yeah? Oh, man. Are you glad you got up for church? Yeah? Good. Good. So Kevin's not here today, so I was asked to do the welcome. Uh, I just wanted to tell you guys, man, I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm so happy that you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, If you would like, if you want to stand up and worship with us, we got some songs for you this morning, uh, and feel, uh, feel free to worship with us.
1: No the same. Give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, bless it.
2: Morning. Hi, it's so nice being closer to you. Hi, I like this. Oh man, I, I am so thankful to be together with you today. Yeah, I love the church. I just love this church and I love you. And, uh, and I'm so thankful for you today. And uh, if you are new here, I pray that you feel love today. Uh, you know, a church um, that lacks love, and I was talking to a group of, of uh, men about this this week, and a church that lacks love is, is, is really a dying church. Um, and it doesn't matter uh, how many people attend a church. if it, there's no love there, oh, is Jesus there? Because where Jesus is, there's love. Yeah, and there's love up in this place, isn't there? Yeah, just a loving mess. Yeah. All right. Well, it's our opportunity to give a portion of what the Lord has entrusted to us, to be generous givers. Oh, Lord, stir our hearts. as Father is generous. He gives of his Son. Jesus gave of his life. And we are given of the Holy Spirit. And, and we get to support our church and and give of our resources. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege and honor that we have to worship you, that you invite us in, and you generously give us all good things. We are told in your word that everything good in our life comes down from you. And uh, the great blessing of our spiritual life is, is this progressive work of generosity. And uh, Lord, right now, it's a progressive work. And uh, I pray for my own heart that Lord, generosity would have its, have its continued work. To not just be generous with resources, but with my time and uh, my gifts and abilities. I'm generous in the things that you call us to be generous in. Uh, this morning we, we pray your abundant grace upon our community. We thank you, Lord, that you've placed us here to be servants, that we lay our life down before you in, in service of others. We thank you for this wonderful church and, and your bride that, that Jesus, you died for this church. Thank you for uh, the grace that we experience here. And pray that, Holy Spirit, you would have free movement here in this place and in our hearts and our minds. We pray that, that we take a deep breath. Lord, just as you breathe into Adam, the breath of life, may that breath bring with it that fresh filling of your spirit. It's been a long week. We've carried a lot into this place today. We pray that Holy Spirit, you have your work, your way in us. And uh, may you be honored and pleased with our worship. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Our ushers are going to come down. We give our offerings a few different ways through our baskets uh, and boxes, but we also have QR codes on the chairs. That's a great way uh, to give. Uh, But one of the greatest things that we give is our worship. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah.
3: See R- oh. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now thy debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus. Oh, yeah. church.
0: for today, God. God, we just thank you for who you are this morning and what you've done on the cross. God, I ask that you uh, provide peace and endurance for anybody that's struggling this morning. Help them to lay it at your feet. Just lay it. God, we just love you and we thank you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Thank you, worship team. Lovely as always. Lovely as always. All right. Going to be very brief today, so keep up. On November 7th, the youth is having their potato bar fundraiser over in the youth room. Uh, It's going to be a good time, filled with spuds, cheese, sour cream, what have you. Uh, All proceeds will go to camp. Uh, Also, currently, we still have Operation Christmas Child running in the lobby. So if you are interested, please go see the table for more information. On the 19th and 20th, the youth will be having a lock-in at Group Dynamics. Uh, it's going to be a fun uh, community or-, or community event. Uh, they're going to get together. They're going to spend all night together. Uh, chaperones, don't worry. The deodorant mandate will be strictly enforced.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: all right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's all I have for you today. Uh, youth, come see me afterwards in the lobby. I have a glorious task for us. Other than that, thank you very much.
2: Thank you, thank you, Keegan, and thank you, worship team, and thank you all for worshiping together. We come to a worship service, and part of our service is we're, we worship together. We all play a role, and I just to hear our voices together this morning, wow, powerful stuff, powerful. Well, this morning, um, before we get into the Word, and we are going to get into the Word, everybody say Word. Yeah, we're going to be in the Word. Um, But before we do, we have a really, uh, an amazing, uh, super awesome announcement uh, for you as a church. Barbara Brown, come on down here. Uh, Barbara Brown, if you do not know Barbara Brown, uh, Barbara Brown has been our executive admin here at Firewheel uh, for the last five or six years. Is that about right? Five or six years. And... um, She and I have have worked very, very closely together. And I I gotta tell you, one of the great blessings of my pastoral life is to be able to work with uh, people like Barbara Brown. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as many of you know, like over the last uh, probably six months, we have been in prayer and we have been seeking our new children's director. And um, it's been really difficult. Barb and I have, have done just about anything you could imagine to find this children's director. And we've put uh, all kinds of job posts out and we've interviewed and resumes and resumes and resumes. And um, we just could not find this person because there's, there's nothing, in our opinion, more important than our kids and uh, discipling and training our kids and giving them Jesus. And um, so our hearts have, have really been burdened by this, and to the point where um, about a month ago, it's about a month ago, we, I, Barb and I walked over to the children's building and we get, began praying over it. And um, Matthew 18 talks a little bit about this. In fact, I'm gonna read a couple of verses out of Matthew 18. And this is what really broke my heart to, to children's ministry and what we were looking for as far as a, our new children's director. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? By the way, the disciples were bickering about themselves. They thought they were the greatest. And what Jesus did was phenomenal. Uh, and it, it, was, it was absolutely uh, disorienting for the disciples because they didn't quite get it at the time. But what Jesus did was he took a child and he put the child in the midst of them, and he says this, this is, this is crazy, he says, "'Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God.'" Like, children are the greatest picture. Children running around are the greatest picture of the kingdom of God. I'm like, what must the kingdom be like? A lot of fun. You ever seen a five-year-old wake up? They're just like, where's the party? I mean, it's just Awesome. <laughs> Uh, you'll never enter the kingdom. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom. And then whoever receives, check this out. Check this out. This is crazy. Uh, Matthew 18 verse 5. Whoever receives one such child, one such child in my name receives me. That when we welcome and we receive one child at Firewood, Jesus comes with them. How crazy is that? Isn't that amazing? And he goes on to say, um, it, well, there's, there's some consequences if you lead one of these astray. Uh, pretty crazy. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin to walk away, it would be better for him or her to have a great millstone fastened around his neck to be drowned in the depth of the sea. I'm like, yo, kids are pretty important to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Y'all, y'all can see that? Do You know what I mean? And uh, so, children need to be important to us because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And, and this is his church, this isn't our church. So, he dictates the terms of his church. And if he's telling us that children are this important, then we're going to take children in children's ministry and we're going to set it as that important. So, anyway, so Barbara and I are over there, we're praying. And uh, I'm praying that God would break the heart of the person, like, like God had called, you know? And I look over, and tears are just streaming down Barb's cheeks just streaming down Barb's cheeks. And I was like, you know, Lord, it does seem to me (laughs) that you're breaking somebody's heart. (laughs) But I didn't say anything. And I just said, Barb, why don't you hang out here for a little bit? And uh, the next day, tears again, talking about tears just streaming down her cheeks. And I was like, you know, Lord, (laughs) it does seem like you're breaking somebody's heart. And uh, is it Barb? And um, I came into her office the next day and I said, Barb, can I ask you a question? Why are you getting so emotional? And she goes, I love kids. I love kids. And Barbara has 20 years working with kids. And uh, she thought she was done. You know, She got to that 20-year mark, and, and she was pretty burned out. And she was like, oh, going into administration, she's like, oh. And she has taken on every responsibility and done such a great job. But she goes, Chris, for the past couple of years, my heart has been in the children's building. I love kids. And then she like, broke into her thick uh, uh, okay. New York <laughs> accent, and she's like, I love camp. I love children's <laughs> camp. And I'm just like— Thank you, Lord. So God broke the person's heart. And uh, Barbara Brown today is her official start as being our new children's director. (laughs) You're gonna do such an amazing job. And so we're gonna pray over Barbara. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Barbara. Lord, she brings us so much joy and uh, such a heart to love you and serve you. And you broke her heart. Oh, break our hearts for these children. And uh, and Lord, this is the the lady who's gonna shepherd our hearts to love these kids and to love our kids and to love my children. (laughs) Lord, she desires to give them you. So fill her up fresh, whole. Give her an anointing for this ministry fill her with fire and with passion, that it would be fanned into flame and, and draw those, those people who have a, a heart and a passion. Their hearts are broken for the children. And, and Lord, we're praying that these kids, this generation would be raised in the faith. Lord, we're praying powerfully over them, Lord, that they are of the kingdom, that when we invite one into this church, we're inviting you. And so, Lord, we invite you here. We invite the littles here. And uh, we are going to love them, and we're going to disciple them. And we thank you for the calling that you've placed on Barbara's heart. And we're going to honor that calling. And, uh, Lord, we rejoice today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Barbara's going to go love on some kids. All right, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. Word. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at, again, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5 as we, as we begin uh, really just kind of dipping our toes into uh, the great sermon uh, found in the early chapters of Matthew's gospel. It is, it is in my opinion, a, a section of scripture that a Christian should often find themselves in. I believe that Matthew chapters 5 through 7 should be a very well-worn path in our Bibles. And we we are looking at what are called the Beatitudes, that this is the pathway of the blessed life. And I'm gonna tell you, we looked at the first four last week, very convicting. And uh, this week, (laughs) wow, Um, very convicting stuff. Because as I've been studying and as I've been going through these, I've come to realize that uh, my heart needs some surgery. And uh, I need to come under the care of the great physician and uh, have some of the hardness of my heart uh, uh, softened, that sclerosis, that plaque, and um, oh Lord, humble my heart uh, to your word. Chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, Uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to just look up at verse 25 of chapter 4. In my Bible, it's right up top. Um, And we're told in chapter 4 of verse 25 that great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And so when you look at chapter 5, verse 1, what it's doing is connecting you to chapter 4, verse 25. So those are the crowds that are following Jesus. So he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And as we saw last week, a disciple is a learner. And so there's a group of people who were following Jesus to learn from him. I mean, many came for many reasons, right? Some came to be healed, others came to see him. They'd heard these messages, uh, these words about Jesus. They'd come, he's famous. Uh, But others came to learn from him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4 Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is the repeating theme? What is the one word that you continue to read? Blessed. Lord, we approach you. Your word says that this is the pathway to the blessed life. Jesus, you tell us this is the pathway to the blessed life. We're going to believe that by faith. And so we're going to ask that you do the necessary heart surgery, soul surgery, so that we not only learn about these blessings, but we live them. Oh, that we would live out our faith. In your name, amen. So we are again walking up this windswept hill of the, uh, by the Sea of Galilee. I love this picture. It is a picture of a father and son. And that really is the picture, family, of, of our discipleship in our homes. We take our family by the hand and, and we walk them up this hill. And, and this is really a place where we sit at Jesus' feet. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, this is our opportunity to disciple our children. And, and our kids are going to sit at the feet of the one we sit at. So when we sit at the feet of Jesus, we invite our children to join us. And and what a blessing that is that we are all learners. And so we have come, and I believe we are here today to sit at Jesus' feet. You've not come to sit at my feet. You've come to sit at Jesus' feet to learn from him. Amen? And last week, we looked at the first four characteristics of the kingdom of God, the first characteristics of a life that's truly blessed, as the Sermon on the Mount unfolded, and we saw that these, these characteristics are profound. The first characteristic we looked at were was to be poor in spirit, to be impoverished of soul, to approach the Lord with nothing, total spiritual bankruptcy. But that's when the gates of the kingdom sw- swing wide. We looked at at mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. And you look at that, and you're like, how could that be a blessing? How is it a blessing to mourn, to have sorrow, where well, we're told that the blessing is comfort? That when we mourn, we will be comforted not only in this life, but in the life to come. We looked at the blessing of meekness, a characteristic of meekness, of of humility, uh, uh, of not being inflated with a sense of of one's own importance, to be others-focused. Well, we told that to take that posture is is inheritance of the earth itself. And then we looked at blessed are those who hunger and thirst— for God. We hunger, family. We're a hungry and thirsty people, and we're going to hunger and thirst for something, and we're going to try to satisfy the, the hunger and thirst of our souls with something. Well, the only one who will satisfy that hunger and thirst is the Lord, and the only thing that satisfies the soul is the Scripture. And so we looked at those first four characteristics, and and I tried to kind of boil it down into a succinct statement of summarizing the first four Beatitudes, and this is is kind of unique. So I'm borrowing a statement from a recovery program, because I really can't find a statement that better encapsulates the first four Beatitudes— And some of you may be familiar with this when you read this. Maybe you've been in a recovery program, you've heard of people in a recovery program, but if you've heard this before, you're going to immediately go, oh, that's step three. We will experience the blessed life when we humbly turn our will, oh, the will, and our lives over to the care of God. Yeah, that's really when we start to experience. When we surrender our will in our lives to God, that's where the spiritual life begins. Someone want to know the secret to the spiritual life? You want to live a life that's truly spiritual? It begins at surrender. So now we turn to the fifth characteristic of the kingdom of God and the fifth characteristic of a life truly blessed. And, and it is a life that is marked by Mercy. Mercy as as the sea. Uh, Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? Mercy. It's a beautiful word. Uh, Mercy is a beautiful word. It means to be greatly concerned for those in need, to be able to look at somebody's lowly physical or spiritual condition and be moved. Like from the core and the innerness of our of our of our being to be moved by compassion, but it's it's not a compassion that stays motionless. Mercy moves. Mercy takes action. Mercy is compassion in action. You see, God looked down on our lowly estate, our physical life and our spiritual life, and He was moved to the extent that He sent His Son to the cross. Mercy motivated the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his suffering so that we can have life. He looked down, and that was what he was moved by. And so how are we to respond? As recipients of God's mercy, how are we to respond to others? I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 10, verse 8. I quote here from the Amplified Bible, freely you have received freely give. If you are a recipient of mercy, which for those of us in Christ, we are recipients of His mercy. We are the then be givers of that mercy. We're not just to be recipients. Well, there's two parables that capture mercy beautifully. And as we look at these parables, you're going to see two things. One, Mercy moves, it should, by the way. If mercy is at work in our hearts and our lives, it moves us to care for people's physical needs, to like see people and to be moved to meet their physical needs. The second thing we're gonna see is that mercy moves us to release others from the debts they owe us. This is gonna hurt, all right? This is one of that, 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 that part of the heart surgery I'm talking about, this one hurts. So turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and we're gonna be picking up in verse 25, Luke ten twenty five, And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're very familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. In context, there is a religious lawyer who has come to Jesus to test him, putting Jesus to the test. I mean, that just shows this man's heart. He hadn't come to learn. He'd come to test. In verse 25, we were told, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, think about the spiritual arrogance there. What must I do? Uh, And this man is just assuming that he's already doing it. He said to him, Jesus said, What's written in the law? How do you read it? So you're an expert in the law? What, What do you say? How do you inherit eternal life? And so the man said this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbors yourself. Would you all agree that that pretty much summarizes the, the spiritual life, right? Yeah, love God, love others. So the Lord answered him. He said, you answered correctly. Do this and you will what? Yeah, Jesus is like ding, 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 ding. You nailed it. That, that, is, that is the spiritual life. Love the Lord with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But you know what I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see here, or what I saw here as I studied this, we can have the right answer. Uh, that doesn't mean we're living right. Yeah, we can know the answers. That doesn't mean we're living it. We can, we can have it all right up here, but live it all wrong. Luke 10, 29 desiring to justify himself, defend himself. Uh, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Like a good lawyer, right? Like looking for a loophole. Like who's my, who's my neighbor? Because you can't certainly mean everybody's my neighbor. <laughs> I'm not called to love everybody. Well, so Jesus tells this parable. Verse 30. He replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. We have very little data uh, on this particular person. I mean, what we know of him is that he is half dead, naked, freshly beaten, laying on the side of the road. That's all we know about this guy. And it just so happened. (laughs) I love love this parable. It's so good. So convicting. Verse 31, now by chance a priest, I'm going to call him a pastor. Okay? So just so happens a pastor comes along going down that road, and when he saw him, he crossed the street, kept cruising. Then a Levite, um, you, you all are going to be involved in this, this little parable too. We're going to call this a church-going Christian. Okay? Go to church. Oh yeah, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Comes walking along, sees this half-dead naked dude laying on the side of the road, crosses to the other side and just keeps cruising. The two people that you would expect to be moved by mercy, the two people who could articulate with their mouths, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two people that should do something, do nothing. In fact, do less than nothing. They go out of their way to avoid something, yeah. This poor person in this miserable state, right? Well, a Samaritan. Now, this would have, the original hearers would have thought, this is a pagan God-hater, okay? So this is like, detestable the ears of this religious lawyer. Well, this particular person, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. Underline that in your Bible. Circle that. It is a very significant word. It is the Greek word splagizomai. Everybody say splagizomai. Yeah. Splagizomai. You must use that in a sentence this week as you're talking to a random stranger. I am filled with splagitsomai right now. Well, it's a word that is used speaking specifically of Jesus. That when he saw the crowd, he had splagitsomai. He had compassion. It means like to feel from the gut. And and so this particular person, this Samaritan, is really the picture of Jesus. Because he's filled with splagitsomai. And listen to what mercy does. Mercy is compassion and action. This man went to him. Mercy moves. Okay? Mercy is action. He is moved. He binds up his wounds. He pours on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. He put him in his his Honda and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Said, take care of him. And whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He's like, I'm not looking for anything in return. This half-dead man had nothing to give. Mercy is giving without expecting anything in return. And, and this is so cool. Look at verse 36. Which of these three—so Jesus turns to the attorney. He's like, okay, so which of these three— Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. Listen to what he said. He said, the one who showed him what? Mercy. You see, mercy moves us to meet the physical needs of people. It moves us to care for people's physical needs. That's what mercy does. Well, secondly, mercy moves us to release others from the debts that they owe us. And I'm sure there's nobody in here... Who, who, who has somebody in their life that maybe harboring a little resentment towards, you're struggling with them right now. Um, it, of course, none of us have that, so this won't be very convicting. But let's turn there anyway. Matthew chapter 18. Boy, <laughs> this is a toughie. This is a toughie. Matthew 18, uh, verse 23 and following. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven... So if you want to know about the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's going to be compared to a king. So if you're wondering what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus is like, here's a picture. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it's an astronomical sum and it's intentional. And another way of putting it was he owed a zillion dollars. Like he owed a gazillion, zillion dollars, and he's brought up, and, and the servant is—is is, there's no way he's going to be able to pay. Uh, verse 25. And since he could not pay because he owed a gazillion, jillion, zillion dollars, all that, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all he had, and a payment to be made. This is a short sale of the man's entire existence. Everything. He owes an unpayable debt, a debt he can't pay. So the servant did the only thing he could do. He pleads for his life. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him. I mean, just begging, please. Have mercy, right? Like have patience with me. I will pay you everything. I mean, how pitiful. There's no way the servant's going to be able to pay a gazillion, zillion, jillion dollars. But listen to this, and out of, what is that word? Pity, splagitsomai. See, these two parables are connected by splagitsomai. Compassion. This is the heart of God. Out of pity, out of splagitsomai for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Isn't that what God did for each one of us through Jesus? We turn to Him. We confess our sins. We ask for forgiveness. We believe. We are forgiven and released from the debt. So the question is, how do we then treat others? How should that mercy move us to treat others? Well, it would make sense that our obvious response should be to be merciful to others, right? So, verse eight, verse twenty-eight. But when that same servant went out, so what has just happened? Has this servant been forgiven? Does he owe anything? No. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. So like comparing a 100 denarii to a gazillion, jillion dollars this is a very payable debt. Okay, it's a small debt. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Something has gone terribly wrong. Because the master of the servant did not choke his servant, so he grabs his fellow servant. He begins to shake him and choke him. Pay what you owe. You owe me. I'm like, what kind of person would do that? What kind of person would be forgiven an unpayable debt and then go grab a fellow servant and choke him and shake him and point it and you pay me what you owe me? I mean, think about that person on the roadway who cuts us off, and we're like, oh, pay me what you owe me. (laughs) How about that selfish person at Walmart? You're gonna cut in line in front of me? You don't see me standing here? Pay me what you owe me. How about that person at the office? How about your boss? Pay me what you owe me. How about your spouse? If you knew what they did, you would know it's more than 100 denarii. Really? Pay me what you owe me. See, this is where this gets really convicting. Because while I haven't actually articulated, pay what you owe me, I have used words that are so similar with my spouse, with my children. Verse 29 So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Like he does the exact same thing. He's like, Please forgive my debt. He quotes the first servant, but look at verse 30. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. What an injustice, right? And when the king heard about it, he was furious. Verse 32 his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? You see, mercy? Forgiveness comes down to mercy. Mercy moves, mercy does something. Mercy forgives, as I have had mercy on you. And in his anger, the master delivered him over to the jailers till so he should pay all his debt. And this isn't listed behind me, but the next verse says this. So will my Father in heaven do to every servant who doesn't forgive his brother or sister from his heart. That's heavy stuff. Mercy moves us to care for people's physical needs, absolutely, but mercy also moves us to release others from the debts that they owe us. Mercy moves, mercy moves. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. See, the fifth characteristic of a life that's truly blessed is a life that's marked by mercy. Do you want your marriage to be blessed? Be merciful. You want your parenting to be blessed? Be merciful. Do you want your coworkers to be blessed? Your neighbors? How about that person that, for whatever reason, they always take an extra lawnmower length of grass when they mow? And they're always like two layers lower than the way you would cut your own grass. Like, what are you doing? Why are you scalping my grass, bro? You know what? I'm going to take a couple of mower lengths over, and I'm just going to go We literally have uh, neighbors in our neighborhood that have put put up trees, specifically in between property line, so they don't have to look at their neighbor. And as Christians, gosh, what kind of testimony is that? When we start constructing walls in between people, for any reason, mercy moves. The sixth characteristic of a life truly blessed is a pure heart. And I'm I'm just going to kind of introduce this one, and next week we're going to pick up here because I I want mercy to kind of simmer for a while. I just feel like that needs to be the thing. Like what's the theme of today? What's the theme of this week? Let it be mercy. You know, like just kind of let that thing hang out for a while. Mull it over, mill it over. Look at Luke 10. Look at Matthew 18. Think about it, pray about it. Because I'll tell you, this has been the one principle that has rocked my soul this week. What is it to be, what does it mean to be merciful? So the sixth characteristic of a life truly blessed is a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And and that's what we're going to pick up with next week. We're going to look at pure heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? It means to have a clean, unstained, purified heart, the center of our physical and emotional life. It's a blessing to have a clean, unstained, purified inner life. Because when we have a pure heart, we are going to see God. And and I don't know about you, but I want to see God. And even though Paul said... What I see, I see dimly. One day, face to face, I want to see God as clear as I possibly can in this life. I want to have my spiritual spectacles cleaned in such a way that when I look through them, I can see God, and I can see God in service of others. And and that's what we'll look at. But before we we close this morning, um, the first application is is, uh, move in mercy this week. In fact, this is going to be the only application. Move in mercy this week. Uh, Mercy moves us to care for people's physical needs. So as I was preparing this, I left the office. Uh, offices, by the way, are in back. So if you're ever wanting to find our office, you drive around the big building, and you come in these two doors. Anyway, just felt like, just in case you were curious. Um, So walking out of the office, I grabbed a bottle of water because I was thirsty, which is why I grabbed a bottle of water because that's what water's for, is to meet thirst. Anyway, get in the truck. I start it, and I put it in reverse. And I'm gonna tell you every single step. I mean, absolutely. Put it in drive, turn the wheel, turn around. And I realized, oh no, I think I left the children's building unlocked. And I heard Barb going on Tuesday, uh, who left the children's building unlocked? So I was like, I'm gonna go lock the building. So I drive around, and there's a gentleman sitting in front of the children's building and he looks hot, you know, just looks warm. It's warm outside and I'm, I'm looking at my bottle of water and I'm like, but I want the bottle of water because I'm kind of thirsty as I'm sitting in my air conditioned truck. So then I was like, what would Mercy do? So I was like, hey, here's this bottle of water. Who are you? I'm Chris and he told me his name and we we're talking for a minute. And um, he goes, yeah, I'm on this eight mile walk and I uh, still got a ways to go, and it's probably about another 45 minutes. And, and he was telling me about his walk, and I was just talking with him. And I said, all right, well, you have a, have a nice afternoon. And, and I'm walking back into the children's building, and I'd actually locked it. You know, there's you know, like those stove moments where did I leave the stove on, and I didn't leave the stove on. I'd locked it, and I'd set the alarm and all that, so I had to redo that. So I get back in the truck, and I'm like, what would Mercy do? Probably give this guy a ride. You know, I got an extra seat in the truck, Uh, So I pull up, and I I yelled at him. I'm like, hey, you want to ride? And he's like, oh my gosh, that'd be so great. So he gets in the truck, and we're driving, and we're talking, and we drive him over, and it wasn't very far, and we were having a great conversation, and it was such a blessing. You know, just be available. And frankly, had this not been on my mind, I probably would have missed that blessing. So don't miss the blessing this week. Don't miss the blessing. Carry an extra bottle of water, look around. Who am I going to serve? A little bit more convicting, how about the people who owe us this week? Some people owe us a real small debt. Some people owe us a real big debt. And we think we're putting them in debtor's prison, but we're the ones that are shackled. We are not free when we were carrying unforgiveness in our heart. So what debt are you owed today? Just think about that debt. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your ex-spouse. I talk to some folks and they've got so much resentment towards their ex-spouse, it's like they're reliving the hurt every single day. Rehearsing the hurt just constantly, I'm like, that's no life. That's not the blessed life. Who is it? What is it? We, we're going to pray. And we're going to ask mercy to have its work in us today. That we can, we can take that debt and we're going to imagine it. Uh, there was 100 denarii, so there's a legitimate debt. We're gonna say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna imagine this debt right now. I'm gonna call, I'm gonna give it a number. And maybe right now, you're, you're, the debt that you're owed, you're like, oh, 100 denarii? We're talking like 1,000. Okay, it's still not 10,000 talents. They don't owe you a gazillion zillion. You've been forgiven that. So put a number on it right now. Y'all got a number in your head? compare it to how you've been forgiven. Okay. And we're just going to put our hands out and we're going to pray. Lord, today we come before you as Christians. As Christ followers. And and Lord, you have told us this morning that blessed, the blessed life is a merciful life. A blessed life is uh, caring for people's physical needs. And so, Lord, in our hands, we imagine everything that you've entrusted to us, all of our resources, all of our stuff, and we're going to imagine right now that um, it's all sitting in our hands, and our hands are open. So if there's any way, if there's anything we can do to tangibly meet people's physical needs, Lord, everything we have is yours. Use it how you freely choose to use it today and this week. And now we're, we're going to shift our attention to the debt that people owe us, Lord. And people owe us. Some owe us big. Uh, but not what we owed you. See, we owed you the unpayable debt, a debt we could not pay. And so you sent your son to die to pay our debt on the cross. Uh, Lord, you have forgiven us radically. That's mercy. And so may that mercy have its work. And so we're going to imagine the debt. For some of us, people owe us a hundred denarii, maybe a thousand denarii. Whatever that debt number is, it's nothing greater than what you have paid. So Lord, we're going to ask that mercy have its progressive work. We may not be ready to release that debt today, but we're going to ask that you begin that progressive work of mercy that we would progressively give you more and more of the debt, because we're giving you the debt, you're taking the debt, and you will free us in your grace and mercy. We ask for freedom. And Lord, when we are inclined to grab up our fellow servant, demanding that they pay what they owe, I pray that humility would break into our souls and we would humble ourselves before that person and forgive them. Blessed are the merciful. If you have not received Jesus as your savior and you have not been forgiven, the Lord Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He was buried and he's risen. The Bible says all who believe in him will not die, but have everlasting life. If you desire to give your life to Jesus right now and the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried and I believe you've risen. I ask for forgiveness for my sins. I place my faith in you. If that's truly your heart's prayer, the Bible says you've passed from death to life. You are forever a son or daughter of the living God. Welcome to the family. We thank you for your grace today and your mercy. We pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, family. Uh, let's stand together. Stretch. It's time. It's time for us to go into the world in peace. Have courage, hold on to what is good. Honor all men, strengthen the faint hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget family, You are love. Now, we're going to show love and mercy today. Amen? All right. We're going to sing on our way out, but I want to encourage you to spend some time in fellowship. Get to know one another. This is our family. And if I haven't met you, uh, I would love to meet you. I'll be right up here up front. And if you have something you want to have prayer for, uh, we'll be available for that as well. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon.